Good morning, SunWest. Good to be with you on site and online as we continue our uh, series, I Want to Believe, But. And just before we dive in, uh, I know that the restrictions that kind of came back again this last week, uh, I don't know about you, but uh, it was... It felt super discouraging, uh, you know, as we go around, around this again. In fact, when my, one of my sons found out about it, uh, he responded by saying, oh, so we're just going back to normal. Uh, and so it's, you laugh, but it's kind of sad, right, that, this, uh, that we feel like we're in this ongoing uh, place and cycle. Um, and no matter where you are at, we know at SunWest that we have uh, people that are all over the map uh, in terms of how, what this means for them. Uh, and, and their perspective on this, but we have been united uh, on keeping our eyes on Jesus and keeping the main thing the main thing. And that's one of the things that I'm most proud about uh, in our faith community uh, is that we have been able to, to keep Jesus central, uh, to love one another well, uh, and I encourage you uh, to continue to do uh, that. Uh, and if you're curious on uh, you know, where, where or why we have this kind of stance, we did a whole series called The Third Way, uh, a few months back, and I would encourage you, if you're new to SunWest or want to know uh, kind of uh, how uh, we're posturing ourselves, that's a great series uh, to check out. Uh, but now we're going to jump into this series again. We're in week two. I want to believe in God, but. Uh, and two decades ago, as I mentioned last week when I was starting ministry, there was what I would call a nominal uh, Christian a population, a complacent Christian population, and uh, basically what that meant was people had this general idea of Christianity, of what the Bible was about, this general understanding of morality, of what was right and wrong. Uh, whether or not they went to church or not, uh, there, was, there was just a general ethic of uh, Christian morality in the, in the population. Uh, and maybe they would go to church on Easter, on Christmas. Maybe you can relate to that. Uh, but on the whole, there was, a, there was a Christian morality within our cultural uh, climate. Uh, as time has gone on, what I've noticed and what you've probably noticed is that there's more and more and more people, uh, and maybe you feel like you're in this place, uh, that have uh, moved away from uh, Christianity in terms of its, its moral compass. Uh, many people have uh, referred to this as a deconstruction of kind of picking apart their faith, uh, rethinking everything, uh, and it's, it's my thought, and what the series is about, is that what people are rejecting is not actually the true God, but some distorted version of God that we have started to believe. Uh, and this became clear even as we did our, our survey uh, we sent out a survey about a month ago, and many, many of you and many of your friends and coworkers filled it out, and, the, and I want to believe in God, but, and they filled in the blanks. Uh, and it was clear as we looked at the, the feedback of that survey that many of us have these assumptions about God uh, that actually aren't true. Uh, they're not actually in line with uh, the God of Scripture, the God that's revealed uh, through Jesus, uh, who is the uh, perfect image of the invisible God. And so uh, as we look at the... This series, we're going to take a look at uh, the distorted views of God uh, and then contrast that with what is actually true. And so perhaps we're believing lies about God uh, that aren't true, and that's actually causing us to reject or not believe in God. So let's take a look at those things. Uh, And last week we we looked at uh, the on-demand God and that God is an on-demand, ready to, to jump at your every whim and wish. 
Uh, and this week we're going to look at a different one. But before I do that, just to get us warmed up, last week we did Two Truths and a Lie with Pastor Dave, and we asked him to share with us two truths and one lie, and we had to pick which one we thought was the lie. And so this week uh, we're going to do, uh, do it with Pastor Colton. And so Colton is in junior high conversations today, so he's not actually in the room. Uh, and so again, if you're in grade six to eight, you can go out, and there's junior high conversations in the staff lounge just behind the Welcome Center. Uh, and many of you, if you're new to SunWest, maybe you don't know who Colton is and, you know, who is this youth pastor, Colton Wilms, and what does he even look like? How would I identify him? Well, let me help you. This is a picture of Colton uh, just from a little while ago. Uh, looks a little different then, but uh, so just, just picture Colton without uh, the mop, and that, you know, that's Colton there for you. So I asked him for two truths and a lie, and this is what he gave to me. Number one, I've been stung by bees over 200 times. Number two, I'm an award-winning badminton player. Number three, I can recite the books of the Bible backwards. Okay, so you are trying to identify the one lie in those three statements. Okay, I'll give you a second to reread those, which is the one thing that is not true about Pastor Colton. Uh, so who thinks, uh, number one, I've been stung by bees over 200 times. You can, you can type in online too on the Facebook chat. Okay. Anybody? Hands raised high. I got a few hands that think that this is the lie. All right. Number two, I'm an award-winning badminton player. Anybody? Okay. More people think that that's the lie. Okay. And number three, I can recite the books of the Bible backwards. Anybody think that that's the lie? We, you don't have a lot of confidence in your youth pastor, right? Eh? Uh, well, number three is the lie. I um, he said, if uh, winning an award in grade nine for badminton counts, That's, uh, that was the, the disclaimer. Uh, I haven't told them yet, but uh, I think every millennial got an award for everything they've ever done. And so the, I can say that I'm on the, the, the edge of that millennial age bracket. Anyways, uh, I think that sometimes we believe uh, some things that are true about God, we believe some things that aren't true, uh, and when those false beliefs that we have in God don't turn out to be true, we think we've got to reject God. And so uh, we're looking at uh, these distorted views of God, and, uh, and I'm just going to highlight again where we're going the next few weeks, and then we'll jump into this week. So next week we're going to talk about the goosebump God, uh, in case this was one of your questions or one of your friend's questions you wanted to, to pipe in, and the goosebump Bump God is referring to uh, the God that I can't feel, right? Uh, how can I believe in a God that I can't see, I can't sense, I can't feel? Other people talk about uh, hearing God's voice, and I, you know, I don't know what to do with that. So I, how do I believe in a God like that? So we'll talk about that next week. Uh, in the, f- the fourth week, the week after that, we'll talk about the heartless God, which is probably, as a pastor, the question that I get the most. Uh, without, uh, It's not even close. I want to believe in God, but... Uh, if God is loving, if he's all-powerful, uh, then why did this happen in my life? Why did this bad thing happen? Why did this crisis happen? When I look out in the world, you know, why do these, um, these very tragic, evil things happen? How do I believe in a good and powerful God uh, when it doesn't look like he's good or powerful? So we'll look at that in the fourth week. Uh, and then the, the last week of the series, we'll look at the anti-science God uh, which actually came back in the survey quite a bit. I'd love to believe in God, but I've heard way more plausible explanations uh, for things in this world uh, than that which uh, Christians have told me or what they believe in. But this week, uh, we're going to look at the killjoy God. 
I want to believe in God, but there's just too many rules. I want to believe in God, but I don't want to be boring. I don't want to be a dud. I want to enjoy my life. Uh, in fact, growing up, there was, uh, I felt like there were so many do's and don'ts and these and thou's uh, when it came to following Jesus. You know, if I could be really, really honest, when I looked at Christians when I was in high school, uh, I just, I didn't like them. Uh, is it okay to say that in church? I just didn't like them. Uh, and uh, they seemed to be snotty and hypocritical, judgmental. Uh, they claimed one thing, and then they would go and do another thing. And I remember, you know, I grew up in the public school system, and then there's the, the Christian school kids that came over to the public school in high school, and they were just different, if I can say that. Uh, and, and, they, and they were identi- they, like the, these Christian kids in the 90s, they were identifiable because they, ha- they, they had loafers, they had braided leather belts, they, they wore WWJD bracelets, uh, they, they, walked, they had like Breakaway Magazine, if any of you guys remember Breakaway Magazine, and they didn't listen to real music, but they had like the list of like music that was similar to like the good music, uh, and so, you know, we listened to Third Day, and they sound exactly like Hootie and the Blowfish. I was like, no, they don't. Um, you know, I liked, uh, I liked Pearl Jam, and even though Breakaway told me Petra was just as good as Pearl Jam, Petra was not as good as Pearl Jam. I just gotta, I gotta say that. Uh, you know, and so I felt like, you know, I had to trade in, like, good music for, like, secondary good music. I had to, you know, follow all these rules. And maybe I didn't want to quite do that. Maybe I felt like there's just too many rules, and it, it seems like their life is no fun. I couldn't become that guy. I want to believe in God, but there's just too many rules. Some people say I want to believe in him, but with all those rules, there just doesn't seem to be any benefit anyways. When I look at my life, it seems like things are going really, really well. You know, why would I, you know, mess this up to follow God with all these rules and I don't see a benefit to those rules at all? And so we want to talk about that idea of God, that version of God, uh, the killjoy God. And so we're going to look at the good news and the bad news about Jesus and religion this morning. And we're going to start with the bad news. And what I hope that you'll understand is that when I say religion, I am not talking about uh, Christianity or following Jesus. Often at SunWest we use the, the term uh, Christ follower because even when we use the term Christianity, uh, there's a whole bunch of religious baggage that even gets associated with that. Uh, but religion, when I use the word religion, I'm referring to man-made rules that exist to try and please God. And there's a di- difference between Christianity and general religion. I first want to talk about the bad news about religion Uh, And then we'll look at uh, the good news about Jesus. But religion focuses on the external rather than the internal. Religion focuses on the external rather than the internal. And if have you ever looked at somebody and said, you're claiming one thing, but you're not living the thing that you're claiming, uh, this is exactly what it's it's referring to. And in fact, uh, Jesus referenced this, and and, and he talked about this many times in the, the Gospel of Matthew, He's talking to the religious leaders, the Pharisees, kind of the religious elite in Judaism. And he says, Woe to you, teacher of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will also be clean. So in other words... You're putting on this religious show on the outside, but it doesn't actually quite match up with your heart and what's going on the inside. Jesus is saying, first be clean on the inside, and then the outside will also be clean. The outside, Jesus is saying, is actually a byproduct of what's happening on the inside. 
And so you can focus on the outside and ignore the inside, and that is what makes you what Jesus calls a hypocrite. But Jesus is saying, focus on the inside. That's your first priority. And then as the inside uh, becomes clean, the outside will also be clean. And so we're going to dive into this idea that Jesus uh, gives here. Uh, what does religion do? It focuses on the external, the outside, rather than the internal. And here's what people will wrongly assume about God. And if we take this idea of a holy God, so there's a holy God who has a standard, and then there's unholy people who are unwilling to or, or unable to meet that standard of this holy God, religion basically says, I'm going to make up that gap by trying harder by working harder, by doing all the things that I know God wants me to do and trying not to do the things that I know God doesn't want me to do. And we try to close the gap between God's holiness and our unholiness by religious services and acts and behaviors. And Jesus and the other writers we see in the New Testament will tell us that through human effort uh, that that gap doesn't close. It's like, it's like a golf swing. Have you ever, anybody golf here? few people? Okay, anybody been golfing? A few more people, okay. Uh, it, it's, like, it's like when I'm golfing, and I don't do it a lot, uh, but I get really frustrated because I'm competitive, and then I just try harder. And there's one thing about golf that's different than other sports. Other sports, you can try harder, and it seems to get you a little bit further, but golf, like the harder you try, the worse it gets. And maybe it's just me, but I just, I get at the ball, I'm like, I'm going to swing harder, and all that means is like I hook it harder. You know, everything that was wrong just happens way more wrong. Uh, that's what happens when I try harder in golf. Uh, and, and religion's kind of like that. We just try harder, but it doesn't actually get us anywhere. So religious, there's all these religious do's, right, that, that we think of. You know, give money, be nice, help old ladies cross the street, uh, go to church uh, every Sunday, not just on the holidays. Read my Bible, pray often. You know, these are these religious do's that we think that will help us uh, kind of close that gap. And there's religious don'ts. You know, don't drink, don't smoke. Uh, you know, one that I grew up with that I heard a lot was, was don't sex, don't have sex, don't sex. Uh, yeah, don't have sex because that leads to dancing. You got to be careful. You don't get to, and, and that and that that helps you understand why my best dance move is this. Because I, I I wasn't allowed or I didn't dance. Uh, anyway, so we have all these do's and we have all these don'ts. Um, don't do these things. Don't do these bad things. And do these good things, and that will help you uh, live in right relationship with God. Jesus warns his disciples, and he actually gives a don't. And uh, we're gonna look at at that in one second. But he says. Uh, don't be like the Pharisees. This is the don't. Don't do this. They put on this big religious show. They, they go out in public and they pray these loud prayers, not because they're super spiritual, but because they're concerned about the outside, about the appearance. They want people to, to hear them. They wear like these, these big robes with these tassels that, you know, everybody would go by them and like, wow, you look super holy and put together. You know, they would heap all these rules on everybody else that they would expect everybody else to follow, all these things that they had to do on the Sabbath. You shouldn't be hanging out with these people. You have to hang out with these people. And, and they were always focused on the external. And their underlying belief was that God wouldn't bless Israel. God wouldn't bless his people until the people became more holy. And so our focus needs to be on holiness. 
Let's get everybody behaving and, and, and practicing and, and hanging with the right people and doing all the right rules, and then God is going to bless us if we can be holy enough. So this is kind of the posture uh, of the Pharisees. Uh, and again, religion focuses on the external rather than the internal. And God is inviting us, and he was inviting them, and the reason he was criticizing the Pharisees is that they were putting all their emphasis on appearance, on behavior, uh, and not on what it should have been. And so a quick history lesson. Why did, they, why did that happen? How did they get to that place? Well, if you go into the Old Testament, uh, you have uh, you know, a reformation of sorts with these, these faith leaders, Ezra and Nehemiah. They're bringing the, the people of God back together, rebuilding the temple. Um, they're, they're just resetting God's people. And there's like this, this reformation where people came back to God. People were breaking the law, and because of the broken law, they found themselves in exile. They were in bondage, so they brought everybody back, and, and everybody kind of repented and, and came back to following the law or the Torah, which is what they refer to as the first five books of the Bible. So we're going to follow this law. We're going to follow the Torah. We're going to come up with uh, all of these ways that are going to prevent us from breaking a law in the Torah. And so they came up with something called fence laws. So uh, let's, let's say, for example, that people, you know, every, every Sunday people came on, on church at, on, at Sun West and they kept falling off the stage over and over and over again. And we're like, hey, there's a problem here with the stage. Um, and so what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to actually build a marker back here you know, five feet away from the edge of the stage just to make sure that nobody's ever going to fall off the stage. Does that make sense? And so the, the people of God, they started coming up with these fence laws, these extra laws, uh, in addition to the Torah, in addition to God's commandments, to make sure that they didn't even get close to breaking the commandments. And what these well-intentioned religious leaders religious leaders did it. They added laws upon laws, and they had over 600 extra man-made fence laws. And the intention, again, wasn't a bad one, but they just wanted to make sure not to break God's rules, and so we're going to add more and more and more rules that were going to prevent us from even getting close to breaking God's rules. And so they, we'll take Sabbath as an example. They had 65 rules just for the Sabbath day alone. And then when eventually somebody compiled all of these laws... And they, they, they created a book uh, called the Mishnah, and that book is 800 pages long of man-made extra fence laws to put on God's people to prevent them from breaking God's laws. So lots of fences, lots of laws, and this is why Jesus got very passionate uh, when he was addressing the Pharisees, and he was talking to his disciples, and he said, don't follow the example of the Pharisees. For they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands, and they never lift a finger to ease the burden. So if you've ever thought, I don't want to believe in God because there's so many rules, there's so many laws, because God seems oppressive, that he's trying to ruin our fun, that God, God's ways do not bring me towards freedom. Uh, this is what many people throughout history added on to God's laws. Anytime you think of the killjoy God, that God is out to actually ruin our fun or make our lives uh, really oppressive, we can see in the life and the teachings of Jesus that the killjoy God doesn't exist. It was actually a man-made projection onto God. The laws God ex- established do not, do not exist to confine us. They actually exist to free us. God's laws don't exist to confine us. They actually exist to free us. And we do live in a culture 
that pushes back against any limitations. And we have a skewed idea of what freedom means. Freedom uh, in our culture means do whatever you want, whenever you want, no limitations. But if you've ever lived life under that message for very long, you will quickly realize that you're not as free as you think. You will quickly find yourself in, in bondage, in addiction, in relational fallout. This limitless idea of freedom is actually a facade. It doesn't exist. And we look around in our world and we can see that that idea of freedom has not gotten us very far. Uh, and God actually gives limits. We're going to talk about this a little bit later. But God lives, gives limits for our sake, for our actual freedom. So let's look at the good news. We talked about the bad news about religion, but uh, we're going to look at a few verses in the book of Romans, uh, which a guy named Paul wrote, and he said, Therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our own sin. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Now, there's a lot in those few verses. Hang with me uh, as we work our way through it. Uh, but what is the good news about Jesus? Well, we're going to break it down with these uh, three simple thoughts. Oversimplified for sure. Uh, but using this, this text as a framework, uh, we need to recognize first that you cannot earn God's acceptance by obeying the law. You can't. No matter how hard you try, it's like the golf swing. No matter how hard you swing, uh, how religious you get, how many good works you do, how many bad works you avoid, you cannot earn God's love and his acceptance by obeying the law. Religion says your good works will please God. Scripture teaches us that you actually can't do enough to please God. The rules may be go to church, don't do bad things. Here's what Scripture says. There no, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. And you may be thinking, Matt, I thought this was good news. Just hang on for a second, okay? So this raises the question, if you cannot earn God's acceptance by obeying the law, why in the world did God choose to give us the law in the first place? Isn't that a good question? If we can't please God by obeying the law, then why would God give us a law that we actually can't please him with? Well, Paul actually answers it in that text. He says, the purpose of the law is to show you your need for a Savior. The purpose of the law is to actually show you God's standard, and then as you look at God's standard compared to our lives and the lives of those living around us, we recognize, hey, we need a Savior. We can't make up this camp. We can't actually be right with God on our own effort. That's why Paul, again, says, rather through the law, we become conscious of sin. No one will be declared righteous in God's sight, by the works of the law, but through the law, we become aware, we become conscious that uh, we have sin in our lives. And this is so, so important that we need to spend a few minutes uh, talking about this because in our world, in our culture, most people would say, I'm not a bad person. And if I want to make a lot of people really angry with me on a Sunday morning, I just have to say, you're a sinner. There's this like nervous chuckle in the room right now. I just have to say, you're a sinner. And everybody gets really nervous. Everybody gets really defensive. You know, like, don't judge me. You don't know me. Who are you to judge me? I'm not a sinner. And, and we live in a world that's, that basically tells us, and we believe that, you know, I'm not a bad person. And we can come to that conclusion because we think, 
I'm not a bad person compared to so-and-so. I mean, I'm not the worst person. I could pick a whole lot of people that are worse than me, and, you know, that's, that's for sure. I mean, Pastor Colt, I mean, sorry. Uh, no, but, but we play the comparison game, and then we come to this conclusion on our own that, you know, I'm not that bad. The purpose of the law was to show you your need for a Savior. And so when we think, I'm not a bad person compared to somebody else, maybe we can find a way to convince ourselves of that. Uh, but actually, God gives us his word to, to compare ourselves to his word. So we need to stop thinking about comparing myself to other people and move towards this place of actually comparing myself to God's standards. Stop looking at the person next to you and think, you know, how have I fallen short? Because the Bible tells us that we have all fallen short of God's standard in our lives. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever told a lie? If you've told a lie, put your hand in the air. If there is a person beside you that it does not have their hand in the air, you call them a liar right now. <laughs> They're just proving my point. They just told a lie. Okay, here's another one. How many of you have stolen something? This is getting a little more heated. Come on, have you stolen something? You know, there's a few less honest people now with that question. Um, it could be anything. Maybe you've stolen money by not even, by lying on your timesheets at work. Maybe, you know, when I was a kid, I remember stealing a little bub, a double, what is it called, double bubble? Some, yeah, with the little cartoons in them. I loved those things. I remember stealing a couple at the store, uh, and I unwrapped them and ate, started eating them in front of my mom. That was a mistake. Uh, I was like, where'd you get those? Uh, I stole them. Um, Okay, here's another one, and I, I won't get you to put your hand in the air because I, I, I want to protect you, uh, especially if you're here with your spouse this morning. But how many of you guys have lusted? You just give like a little, little finger, like you've looked, at, you've looked at somebody with, you know, not the best intentions. You glanced too long. You've thought, thought of them in a way that you shouldn't have. And Jesus actually said that anyone who's ever looked lustfully at another person has committed adultery with them in, his, in their heart. And this sounds heavy. Uh, and maybe you're online, you're like, I'm sure glad I didn't uh, show up in person, that I had to put my hand in public. Um, but I, I just mentioned a few of those things to, so that we can realize that, that God is a standard for how we live, that we've all fallen short. And it's higher than our standard. And, and we need to move from comparing ourselves to other people to actually comparing ourselves uh, to God and his standard, who we most clearly see in the person of Jesus. So I don't want to be harsh. I'm not trying to be overcritical. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. That's not what I'm trying to do. Uh, but I'm just trying to point out that uh, maybe our compass for morality has, has shifted and we're not even aware of it. And until you see yourself as a sinner, you won't see your need for a Savior. Until you see yourself as a sinner, you won't see your need for a Savior. There's no one person that could ever perform their way into God's standard, and that's the truth uh, that the Scriptures tell us. So thought number one uh, is very simple. You cannot earn God, God's love by obeying the law. Thought number two, the purpose of the law is to show you your need for a Savior. Uh, now the third thought that we see in Paul's uh, text there in Romans is being right with God comes by faith in Christ alone. And this is really, really, really amazing and good news. Being right with God comes by faith in Christ alone. The way that we're made right with God is not by religious works. It's not by trying to be better, but it's recognizing that Jesus already lived perfectly. And when he died on the cross, he was resurrected on the third day. He invites us to actually 
take on his righteousness, his perfection, to receive his forgiveness, that God would actually look at us and embrace us uh, in the same way that God embraced his son, Jesus. Being right with God comes by faith in Christ alone. And that's why Paul says, back to Romans 3, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. You don't need religion. You need Christ. You don't need religion. You need Christ alone. Not Christ plus good works. Not Christ plus religious effort. Not Christ plus going to church. Not Christ plus tithing. Not Christ plus having this amazing prayer life fill in the blank. Christ and Christ alone. Now, when we uh, filled out the... When, when people filled out the survey a few weeks back, uh, one of the common responses that we got that I'm going to tie in here is that a number of people said that the reason they have a hard time believing in God is because the claims of Jesus are too exclusive. And I've heard this uh, many times. You know, when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and you know, that's obviously exclusive. And I just want to address that for one second because the posture and the perspective of what is exclusive totally depends on which perspective that you're thinking from. You know, in my opinion, the gospel of Jesus is the most inclusive thing in the entire world in all of history. Now, why do I say that? Well, because when people respond and say, Christ is too exclusive, uh, they are responding from a human point of view. Now, let, let, me, let me break it down this way. If you were stuck in a well, okay, uh, you're stuck in a well and you've been in that well for a long time, and somebody came along and, and they finally found you after a few days of being stuck in the well, and they said, I'm going to throw this rope down to you. Or maybe they actually had a ladder in their backpack, so they pull out the ladder, they're like, Hey, I got this ladder. You can climb out of the well. You know, and that person responds by saying, you know, that ladder just feels too exclusive. You know, I, I would like a few other options, maybe a rope, you know, maybe, you know, some kind of pulley harness system. Maybe, you know, uh, you would say, hey, that's, that's crazy. You know, the, the person was actually given an invitation. Now, Jesus actually comes, and he says, I have a way out. And we say, hey, that way is too exclusive. The reason we believe that, the reason we feel that, uh, is because we are actually coming at it from the perspective of ignorant and arrogant human perspective. Where we think, hey, I'm not that bad. Or there must be another way. Or uh, we've actually given up God's perspective. Now let's, let's think about it from God's perspective. That he created us. That we have... That he, we have intrinsic value, that he loves us, that he loved the whole world. Okay, that sounds pretty inclusive. That God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. And whoever, anybody, whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Now, isn't that the most inclusive statement in the world when you think about it from the perspective of God? That God loved every single person that he sent his son. And then we can, we, we can pull back and say, well, that sounds too exclusive. Well, whose perspective are we actually banking our morality and our, uh, our reality on? I would encourage you 
to start to think from God's perspective and recognize that his way is inclusive, that his way is loving, that is all-encompassing, that his invitation has no exceptions, no matter your story, no matter where you come from. It is the most inclusive, loving gospel uh, in the world. Being right with God comes by faith in Christ alone. And it doesn't depend on what you've done, doesn't depend on where you've been, how good you are. Uh, and if you need an example of this, you just look in, in, in the passion narrative when Jesus is hanging on the cross between two criminals. Uh, and this might be a new story for you if you're not familiar with the gospel stories. Uh, but Jesus hanging between two criminals, and the one criminal is mocking Jesus. Um, but there's a second criminal beside Jesus that actually sees Jesus for who he is, the Savior of the world, the Messiah. And he says, Jesus... Will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus responds by saying, Today, this day, you will be with me in paradise. So wait a second. What did this guy do? Like, he couldn't get off the cross. He couldn't go back to the synagogue. He couldn't go back to church. He couldn't get baptized. He couldn't, he couldn't do all the religious rules. You mean just that moment on the cross, a criminal hanging, he, who was unable to do anything, was accepted in God's sight? Absolutely yes. Absolutely Yes. Because he believed in Jesus. He put his faith in Jesus. And Jesus responds by saying, today you will be with me in paradise. So when we think of religion versus the gospel, they can actually look very, very similar. If you look at the outside of the cup, to go to Jesus' analogy when he's talking to the Pharisees that they worry about the outside instead of the inside. If you look at the outside of the cup, it might look very similar on the outside. But there's a whole motivation behind it, and that's what Jesus is trying to get at. What's going on on the inside? So let me just break it down really, really quickly. The reason for behavior, the reason why someone would change, why someone would live a certain way in light of the gospel is this. And John, the disciple John breaks it down for us. In 1 John 4.10, he says, For anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And 1 John uh, over and over talks about the love of God, that God, God is love, that God initiated, that, God, that the love that we have is from God, which we'll get to in a second. Love begins with God. The invitation to relationship begins with Him. When you think of the Christmas story, we refer to God as Emmanuel, which is God coming from heaven to earth, God with us. When you think of Easter, the gospel, the cross, the resurrection, it is the initiative of God. God is love. It starts with him. And then secondly, we love. In 1 John 4:19 it says, "We love God because he first loved us." Okay, so there's an order to this. The God initiates, the God is love, and we love God because God loved us. God gives us the capacity to love him. Our love is only possible because God is love. And then the third point we see is that we obey, in John 14, verse 21, it says, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. So John is telling us the obedience is the marker of those that love God. And don't miss this, because again, on the outside, it can look very, very similar, but there's a whole different story happening on the inside. Obedience is not an attempt to prove our love to God, but rather the overflow of one's love for God. So in Proverbs 4, 23, it says, Above all else, guard your heart, because everything you do flows out of your heart. Everything you do on the outside comes from the inside. Now watch the difference. 
If we were to think about the reason for behavior when we, when we talk about religion, it goes the exact opposite way. The reason for behavior in religion is that we obey, we follow the rules, we live by the law, even a lot of man-made laws that we make up because we don't want to break the other laws, and so we put more and more and more laws on ourselves and on each other, and so we obey as much as we can, as best as we can, and then out of that, hopefully we can prove to God that we love Him and that we're serious that our devotion is real, and then hopefully God will see our devotion and our faithfulness and that he will love us back. And this is the endless cycle of religion because you can never obey enough. You can never have a sense of peace enough. You, you will always live your life over your shoulder wondering, does God accept me? Does God love me? Have I done enough? Am I going to get to the end of my life? And God's going to say, hey, it wasn't quite enough. That's the cycle that religion gets you into. And so many people then ask, well, if I'm saved by grace, then it doesn't matter what I do then? Which is a great, great question. And people were asking Paul that question when Paul was talking about the grace of God. They said, you know, does, does how I live not matter then? And you can read all about it in Romans 16. That's your homework if you want to go. Go to Romans 16. Uh, but the long and short of it is that grace is not just about forgiveness. When God gives us grace, it's also about the power to live differently. It's not just about being forgiven. It's about God giving us the power to live differently. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 2. He says, continue to work. Yes, there's work to do. Continue to, to try, but it doesn't depend on you, as you'll see. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is who? God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. That God's spirit actually transforms our will. It gives us power. It gives us ability to live differently. And so we go back to the gospel, the reason for behavior in the gospel, that God loves us, that God initiates it, and that he gives us the capacity, the ability to love him back. And as we choose to love him back, as we choose to worship him, to make him the priority in our lives, it actually realigns our desires, our values, our wills, gives us the power to live differently, and we live in obedience as much as we are able uh, to his leading. Religion is all about performance, performance, performance. Christianity, following Jesus, is all about the perfect work of Jesus. Religion is all about what I do. Christianity, following Jesus, is actually all about what Jesus has done for me. Religion says, if I try really, really hard and obey, then maybe God will love me. And Christianity says, because God loves me and I'm accepted in Christ, I choose to obey and I want to follow his ways. See, religion complicates what God made simple. Religion makes it more complicated than it actually is. You know, even in the beginning of the biblical story, if you're familiar with it, uh, and I, I sometimes love to ask people, what is God's, what is the first commandment God gives humanity? And most people say, uh, don't eat the fruit from the tree, which is not actually the first commandment that God gives humanity. The first commandment that God gives humanity is freely eat. Freely eat. And then the second clause is, but there's one tree you shouldn't eat from. Now, in our human perspective, we think, why do we focus on the negative? That God gave a limitation, and we think that was God's first command. No, God's first heart and commandment and invitation to us was actually to experience goodness and freedom. We need to be careful in the world because there's a rejection of all limits. 
You know, God's not out to ruin our freedom, but he, he has given us limitations so that we can experience his goodness and his freedom. Why did God tell them not to eat the fruit in the middle of the tree? To keep them from fun stuff? No, to keep them away from, from what would steal their life. To keep them away from missing out on freedom and blessing in their life. In Psalm 16, King David says, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I love that line. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. What King David realized, uh, and probably through a lot of mistakes of actually stepping over the boundary lines that God gave, uh, is that the boundary lines are actually there to protect him, to save him, to give him freedom in his life. And on the other side is danger. You might be asking, well, how do I know what are man-made rules and what are God-made rules? And, you know, this sounds really complicated. And, and Jesus actually comes to simplify what the law made complicated. As you follow Jesus, as you spend time in his word, as you spend time with him, you will become more and more aware of his invitation to you and how to live in your life. And you might not even know what that all means, uh, but it actually starts by making Jesus a priority in your life, choosing to follow him above all else. Uh, it's similar to when I got married 17 years ago to my wife, Lisa. I promised to lay down the law when we got married. I promised to be faithful to her as long as we both shall live. Now, that's a rule. That's the law. What's that for? You know, it's, you know, it's kind of limiting. You mean you're going to be faithful to one person? That means that, you know, you're not going to explore relationships with anybody else? That's exactly what that means. Now, what does that do? Well, that boundary, that limitation keeps me in the blessings of a faithful marriage, which is richer than the forbidden fruit that's on the other side of that boundary line. Now, people in our culture can say, well, that's dumb all they want, but you can just look at the repercussions of people moving outside of the boundary lines of their vows that they've made to a significant other to realize the devastation, the lack of freedom that's created in their life and their family. That's one example. But it's a good example. Because when we choose to marry somebody, in some ways it feels, uh, it only feels like there's limitations and there's rules if you don't truly love the person. If you love the person, you actually embrace the limitations because you recognize that this boundary gives you the richest experience in life together. It's so much better than if I would just to do things that I want to do or whenever I want or not care about how it affects the other person. No, we actually embrace boundaries and limitations when it's done in a posture of love. And it makes sense to us. Now, we've got to think of that in a relationship to God. So why would you do that? Because God is love, and we're choosing to love him back. And from that place, I actually care a little bit about how I live and the decisions that I make. And so Jesus super simplifies it, and if, you're, and if it's still not simple enough for you, uh, let me respond with the way Jesus responded when somebody asked Jesus, you know, what's the, most, what's the greatest and most important commandment? And remember, he had like 600 plus commandments he could have chosen from. They got written into an 800-page book. Which ones are the most important? And he says, love God with everything you got, your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love him with everything. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. And if you actually do that, you will fulfill what the law intended. So I'm going to invite you to stand this morning, Sun West. You can stand if you're at home too, but you can stay seated on the couch at home. That's your, uh, that's your right 
Uh, so I don't know where you're coming from this morning. Maybe uh, you have actually stopped yourself from putting your full faith in Jesus because it just seems like he was out to ruin your fun, that there's too many rules. And I just want to remind you that this perspective of the killjoy God doesn't exist. I would suggest that you're just starting in the wrong place. If you're just thinking about rules and obedience and, uh, you know, the gospel actually starts this somewhere else. That God is love and that we are to respond to him by loving him back and allow that relationship as you put him first to, to actually start to define the way you live. But love God. So maybe you're in that place where you just got to reject this killjoy God that doesn't exist in the first place and recognize that God is for you, that he loves you, and he invites you into relationship with him. Uh, secondly, maybe you've put faith in God. And I want to just ask you, because this, sh- this showed up a number of times on the survey as well. One of the main reasons people choose not to believe in God is because people that profess to believe in God live so hypocritically. Which I understand, because there's lots, that I've, I've, lots of ways that I, I feel like I have failed as a follower of Jesus, but I, I thank Jesus that there's grace for me and that he's working with me to will and to act according to his good purposes. Absolutely. But maybe you're someone who ha- has actually put their faith in God and I would just simply ask, can people tell that you love God by the way that you live? Maybe there's some boundary lines that you've been crossing that's stealing life from you this morning. And you don't need to tell me what those things are. You don't need me to crack a whip uh, because I believe the Holy Spirit's already been prodding you about what those things are. I would invite you to ask God for forgiveness. Ask him to work in you to give you the will and the, uh, the ability to will and to act. I would invite you to bring other people alongside of you to follow Jesus with them. Not because you need to earn God's love, but because you love God and you're trying to live that out in life. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you are for us. We thank you that you are for our freedom. Lord, we thank you that when you give limitations and boundaries in our lives, it's actually for our good. Uh, And Lord, we admit from our human perspective that we don't see clearly, that our view is limited And so, Lord, we choose to trust you. That's what faith means. We choose to trust even the limits you have for us and trust you that they're for our own good. Lord, I pray for those in the room and at home this morning that feel uh, that they have not been living the way that you've invited them to live. Lord, I pray against this... uh, the sense of condemnation, I believe, that the enemy uses that, you know, God doesn't love you, that God doesn't accept you. Lord, I pray that your gospel would speak louder than that, that we would recognize that you love us, that you are for us, and that you open your arms and invite us back into right relationship with you. We thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. We thank you for his death and resurrection, and that paved the way for us, for all people, no matter our stories, to know you and to love you. May me respond to that gospel truth. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
Thank you, worship team. Uh, thank you guys for joining us online on site this morning. Uh, if you uh, would like prayer for anything, I would invite you to come forward at the end of service. We'd love to pray for you on site. Uh, if you're online, you can just email prayer at sunwestchurch.com, uh, and our, we have prayer teams that are available uh, there and would love to, to pray for you. Uh, if you are someone that has never uh, actually taken the step to put their faith into uh, Jesus, uh, that maybe you've rejected him because uh, you had this sense of religion. I hope that you hear this morning that Jesus actually came to destroy religion, destroy this idea that, that man had to work harder to get to God, and he came to us instead. Uh, and if you would like to, to actually receive that uh, gift of relationship, we would love to pray for you and begin that journey with you. Uh, and so again, we would just come forward at the end. We'd, we'd love to pray for you, or you can email uh, sunwest, uh, prayer at sunwestchurch.com. Let me pray to close, uh, and then you can be released. Uh, and don't forget to pick up your kids. Uh, I know it's, it's new again that we got kids downstairs. So, Lord, we again thank you for your gift. We thank you for your initiative, uh, that you are Emmanuel, that you are God with us. We thank you. Jesus, that you uh, came, that you are the image of the invisible God, Lord, that you made a way for us to know you and to love you. Lord, I, I pray that the way we live, God, would be an overflow of what's in our heart for you, that we would give our, ma- our focus and our aim, especially in these days, uh, to love you with everything, that that would be our heart's posture. Uh, and Lord, we pray that out of that place, that we would be a certain type of people, a certain type of Jesus people, that would love our neighbors as ourselves. Lord, that we would live out your kingdom on earth as it is heaven. Lord, not because we have to, but because we want to, because your spirit is in us, working in us, and working through us. So we thank you for that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, God bless you. Have a great day. Uh, We'll see you next week.